Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 5th, 2011. For newcomers, I always suggest you look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the free audios there. There's hundreds to choose from. And I try, hopefully, to give you shortcuts to understanding this big system with its big agenda. It's been here for an awful long time. It was there when your grandparents were around and great-grandparents too because it's a world agenda with a planned system, a planned economy, a planned society. It's the dream of the elitists for uh, a couple of hundred years at least. But uh, we're going through it all now, of course, from a a thousand directions, a thousand points of light, I think Bush Sr. called it. And this is the big foundations and NGOs working towards shaping our society by influencing it from within. And they have the voice of the media on their side and all the magazines. They have their articles embedded into movies to make sure you get the point. And you're going into the big transitions, as it's called right now. So help yourself to those, and remember too, you're the audience that bring me to you. You can support me by getting the books and discs I've got for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada to order, you'll see on the, on the site, you can, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order. You can send cash or you can use PayPal to order. You'll see the donation button on, on the comm site. Use that. It tells you how to do it. And follow it up with an email with name, address, order, and I'll get it out to you. And straight donations, believe you me, are really certainly welcome. Uh, across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, PayPal to order or donate. It's up to yourselves. And the donations really are necessary at this time because things are moving fast, especially the, the, the inflation, as it's called. Uh, as you go into every store every month and you see the prices going up and up and up. And it's called inflation, which means they devalue your dollar. In other words, basically your purchasing power. But uh, bigger powers than that rule all of our lives. So help yourself to those. Remember, too, that all the sites listed on the com, cuttingthroughmedias.com, carry transcripts in English for print-up as well uh, as, as the audios. And if you want transcripts in other languages, you'll see Alan Watts sentient, sentinel.eu. You can use that and get to, uh, to your pick from the variety offered there. But we are going through big changes. Uh, the mainstream media tends to pin us on the actualities of the day, basically. Oh, look what's happened today, and it's about a meeting and some law that's passed. But they never tell you how we came up against this law, how long it was in the works for, who started it, offered organizations, all these private groups that start off laws for us that eventually get on the books, and that they're really private parts of the, the parallel government. And it is a parallel government, and they even put their own people in as presidents and prime ministers have done for over a 100 years. So that's how you're really, really ruled in this new system. The chaos you're going through right now with uh, depression, of all kinds, literally mental depression and, and physical depression and uh, economic depression, is all to do with the necessity that if you want to make a big omelette, you've got to smash a lot of eggs. 
And guess what? We are the broken eggs as the world is brought into a truly uh, global system to be run with an iron fist eventually through legislation to rule all of us from cradle to grave across the whole planet. Some countries have a, a, a bit of leeway for about 20, 25 years, uh, and those are the ones that are called emerging nations. They can pollute, they can, they can uh, pay their, their workers whatever they wish to pay them, there's no minimum pay, and they can treat them the way they want to treat them too. Whereas in the so-called first world countries, we're pretty well doomed from the start with so many laws to fulfill and regulations, etc., etc., although they are trying to do away with minimum wages there as well. What a wonderful prospect, eh? Just scraping along. Uh, back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. As I say, the media is apt to give you what's happening just that day and they always put in a, in a way to get you either angry, upset or all for it, one, one of the two. But they never tell you what's happening and, and how uh, big organizations came into being, who funds them, uh, how long they've been working on certain parts of a global agenda and, and so on. And remember too, the whole idea of the United Nations being set up was to bring in a form of world government from its very beginning. And its precursor, the League of Nations, was set up at the end of World War I to do exactly the same thing. So the same boys, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, have been at the same agenda for an awful long time. They were the guys who drafted up the, the plans to unite Europe and to keep it hidden from the public, its true intentions, that is, until it was already completed. And they did that very well. It's through deception. And the same thing with, with NAFTA and the unification of the Americas. It's the same deal that's going on there. And they're doing the same thing with the, the, the Asian Pacific Rim regions as well. And Africa and other places too. So this is the same group worldwide that was started off, remember, by Milner, Lord Milner, and Cecil Rhodes Foundation. Milner and, and his bunch of boys and the sons were all involved. They're all uh, international bankers, and they thought that bankers were far better equipped to deal with the problems of the world since they ran everything on economics, and as Marx said himself before that, that everything is an economic system in the world, and all wars are economic. Well, they're certainly used uh, economic wars to bring us to the state we're at right now, called austerity, and um, we find that... uh, there's so many, much going on, has been going on for quite a few years through the different organizations which they use. And one of them here is um, to do with uh, 21st century meetings, um, to do with uh, really post, into, into post-globalism in a sense, really. That's what it's really about. I'll be putting some links up tonight to show you uh, what it's all about. One of them is called um, the G20 and Beyond and in another part is called G20 Recovery and Beyond, and the other one is G20 and Global Governance. Uh, now, the G20 is a private organization comprised of your, your prime ministers, presidents, etc., uh, that you think you elect for national reasons, and here they are all meeting in an international forum, 
to uh, bring in internationalism, but not just internationalism, a new kind of way of living, austerity across the world, uh, where orders and contracts will be dished out through via their own organizations through the United Nations to different countries, a very ordered society, a planned society, and and with the same elite, of course, running the show because they still hold all the cash, and it's very elitist, very, very elitist at the top. The amazing thing is, is how many of the left-wing organizations, they rule at the bottom because they've got them all on board thinking they're bringing, going to bring in a utopia for, for everyone. But one of them, uh, this article is here to do uh, the G20 and beyond. And you never hear the G20 meeting uh, group mentioned during election times anywhere. It isn't until you're hit with billions of dollars in bills when they have their meeting in your country that you actually learn anything about it. But anyway, it says it's, um, it's a group of diverse or, uh, individuals with the highest level of expertise in the subjects confronting the G20 and with a commitment to working to ensure the improvement in the system of global economic governance. The chapters which follow contain a summary of the discussion between members of the group and the preparatory notes which have been written, and it gives a list of these guys. And it says, too, all they have in common, apart from being elitist and awfully stinking rich and well-known, is that they're citizens of the world. They're world citizens, all the way back to Plato and others, world citizens and Socrates. Same thing, same thing that uh, Rockefeller Foundation does too. He hands out awards for world citizenship, as do a few others on his behalf. So, you're, you're, here you are thinking you're still a nation, and you still vote for people thinking they're going to, uh, hopefully keep you a nation and, um, look after you. And unfortunately, that's what you look for government for, to look after you. Uh, although we've never had an instance of that actually happening in history, but we were taught that they're going to look after you. And, and all the while, they're working uh, internationally to get rid of your sovereignty uh, because they've signed a lot of charters with the United Nations and they must bring you into a global region and to do, do with, way with the nation state down the road. They hope to do all of this in, in this century, 21st century. And that's part of your austerity. That's part of your rethinking the nation state. All of that stuff is all to do with the same thing and the kind of citizens they want uh, living in poverty. Now, in Britain, with Common Purpose and other groups that are there, massive groups funded by the government too as non-governmental organizations, they've infiltrated everything. And, of course, they want, uh, they're doing all they can to make sure that Europe can never disintegrate back into the nation-state. That's part of their, their, their job. And it's a new form of the Soviet system, as I've mentioned before, because the whole thing in what they call democracy is that uh, they will have appointed speakers for you, uh, just like the Soviet system uh, in your area that will speak on your behalf, all of you in your area. You won't elect them. They'll simply be appointed there. They're, they're, all there, they're already in Britain where you have communitarianism really kicking off and big money behind it, taxpayers' money, of course. So we've got that to share and we've got that to come down in America and Canada and, and elsewhere. And of course, if the same groups across Canada, uh, some of them change their names here and there, but they're all the same groups getting the same funded from the big, same funding from foundations and your own government's taxpayers' money. But uh, it, as I say, it's for the 21st century and it's beyond, you know, the, the, the 21st century and beyond, etc., etc., etc. So big, big plans for the kind of society that they want and, and so on. And of course, they want depopulation 
etc. All of these things all come together. Austerity, depopulation, uh, yada, yada, yada. So I'll put that up. Now, uh, quite a few years ago, um, there was a, a radio host, Derry Brownfield. I don't know if he died or not, or if he's still alive. But uh, I know the, the, the show still goes on. But uh, he did an article in 2007 called Our Land Collateral for the National Debt. And this is, I consider Wayne Hague one of the most intelligent men I met. On our first visit, he was explaining the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and how the World Bankers planned on collateralizing the world debt with land. This is a sort of swap uh, for debt. Not just the U.S. national debt, but the world debt. A listener sent me a copy of a report of the Fourth World Wilderness Congress, which was held in Denver in 1987. I've still got the tape of that. Over 1,500 people from 60 countries were told that wilderness lands were to protect the reindeer, the spotted owl, and other endangered species. 90% of the group consisted of conservationists, ecologists, government, and United Nations bureaucrats. The other 10% were world banking heavyweights, such as David Rockefeller of Chase Manhattan Bank, London banker Edmund Rothschild, and the Secretary of the U.S. Treasury, James Baker, who gave the keynote address, George W. Hunt, that wrote the report from which I have gleaned much of my information. During the first three days, the group was told that the Wilderness Congress was about beating the ozone deterioration and bringing the rainforest back. And that was a big thing back then. See, they tried first acid drain. I can remember all the scare tactics. Now, before that, it was going to be um, global cooling and an ice age was coming. And all the big boys that subsequently wrote books about the coming uh, superheated age, the, the warming age, were already writing books back then. The same guys, same authors uh, on cue for the United Nations to scare us all into submission. Uh, and and uh, they also said the acid rain. By the year 2000, uh, there'd be no um, lakes in Canada that would have any life in them at all in, in parts of the world. And all that was bogus as well. So they came across with global warming instead. So they've been at this for a long, long time to get something through. And what is it? It's a world bank. You see a conservation bank. Anyway, it says, um, uh, bringing the rainforest back. The following days were closed to the public with only the bankers in attendance. The topics discussed centered around the creation of a world conservation bank with collateral being derived from receipt of wilderness properties throughout the world. This bank would have central bank power similar to the Federal Reserve. It would create currency and loans and engage in international discounting, counter-trade barter and swap actions. Rothschild personally conducted the monetary matters and the creation of this World Conservation Bank. Now, this is the same bank this, that they're using, actually, for the, the, the next part to work even better, the carbon credits, you understand? This is how long that the same guys have been at it to make sure they get a World Bank through. This bank would refinance by swapping debt for assets. A country with a huge national debt would receive money to pay off the debt by swapping the debt for wilderness lands. Now, now these guys, guy, <laughs> back in 2007, Rothschild and all these guys knew they were going to bring in the carbon sink stuff. Where you're, If you have a lot of wilderness land and a lot of trees standing idle, then you could claim big money from governments because it's now a carbon sink. You understand? These guys are way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. All of you. You know, The plan was to swap... Um, because it didn't have the carbon thing off the ground at that time. But the plan was to swap, as they say, $1 trillion of third world debt into this new bank. In the long term, when the countries won't be able to pay off the loans, governments from around the world will give title to the wilderness lands to the bankers. 
Now, that's what you're seeing happening in Africa, Honduras, and different places as the actual World Bank, the World Bank, yep, um, is, is uh, handing out and, and demanding that people start trading carbon credits. And they're killing off people who've lived there for a long, long time, burning them off the land, killing them by using mercenaries, because the World Bank's pri- other private arm of investment wants that land because it's going to be worth so much money for just trees that stand do nothing. Great, great thing, income, that, eh? Trees that do not, just stand there. So you call that carbon sink. And, uh, this is, this is truly, we're living in the Wizard of Oz. And it's like that old nursery rhyme when the, when the young boy said the king has no clothes. That's what it's like with CO2. No one can see it. No one can weigh it. But that's the way it is. It's worth a fortune, apparently. And all the intellectuals say, oh, yes, it's, uh, I've looked at the science. It's, it's very important indeed. Back with more after this break. I'm back cutting through the matrix and it's it's astonishing really how long these organizations have been at the same agenda and they try one thing, they try another thing, they keep trying things till they get it just right and they have all the time in the world and all the money in the world to make it all happen. But this article goes on to talk about this World Bank and it says, Hunt goes on to say that the World Bank loans as they stand now are not collateralized. They're saying we want collateral so when we loan swap this debt, we're going to own the Amazon if you default. They're going to make their bad loans good by collateralizing them after the fact with all of this land. And somebody's going to end up with the title to 12.5 billion acres. And it says that they have multi-trillions of dollars upon which they can create currencies and loans, and they're going to begin to barter and counter-trade and loan swap against the United States. The World Conservation Bank is a scheme to monetize land. This will function as a world central bank, and out of that bank there will grow a one-world currency. This isn't some schedule cornered up by the Bushes and Clinton administrations. The United Nations World Commission on Environment and Development was created in 1982. The Commission published the Brundtland Report, setting the stage for unlimited enactments to take over ecology and environmental and pollution laws throughout the world, back in 1982. The report stated we will have a proposal for very harsh quasi-spiritual ecological laws for Mother Earth. A Mother Earth comes first. Mentality will arise throughout the world. And they've been pushing all this through everything, Mother Earth, Gaia, all that stuff. When James Baker made his keynote speech in 1987, he stated that no longer will the World Bank carry this debt unsecured. The only assets we have to collateralize are federal lands and national parks. Baker's definition of federal lands includes heritage sites, of which there are about 20 in the U.S. I say about 20 because they're being added on a regular basis, and Canada as well, by the way. As I write this article, Congress is about to vote on a proposed rim of the Valley National Park that would include over 500,000 acres of national forest land and 170,000 parcels of private property, including many farms and ranches. At the same time, there's a bill before Congress called the Northern Rockies Ecosystem, Protection Act that would increase the acreage of designated wilderness by 50% in the lower 48 states. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. The Grand Canyon, everything's in here. But uh, they've been at this for an awful long time to own the world, you understand. Own the entire, everything you stand on or sit on is going to be owned by them. 
and you'll sit on it until they take it away and you fall and you're, you know what. Now, you go, then you go into today. That's from 2007. Here's today. Bank of America creates environmental banking team. Oh, what a coincidence, eh? Just out of nowhere, eh? And it says, um, Bank of America Accord, the second largest U.S. bank, is creating an environmental banking group focused on finding and financing ways to promote conservation and reduce global warming. So that's away from acid rain and this and that and the other to global warming. Chief Executive Kenneth Lewis said on Tuesday, Lewis also called in Congress to create a cap-and-trade framework to limit carbon dioxide emissions and allow the trading of allowances, favoring clear federal standards and market-based mechanism to set emission values. This is where they weigh nothings and charge you lots of cash for it. Uh, presidential candidates Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton and John McCain all support a cap-and-trade system that allow large polluters such as oil companies and power producers to trade emission credits with companies that pollute, pollute less. Don't be fooled by that because this has come down to the personal lever, le- level. How much energy you consume, how much it takes to keep just little old you alive and what you cost in the environment. That's what it's really all about, folks. And these big boys make money off it. You will not be. You won't be trading them. In prepared comments to the North Carolina Emerging Issues Forum in Raleigh, North Carolina, Lewis said the environmental group will be led by Richard Cohen, a managing director in strategic investments and head of environmental strategic investments, begin operations in the coming months. Last March, Charlotte, North Carolina-based Bank of America said it would commit $20 billion over 10 years to support growth and environmentally friendly activities and to reduce global warming. <laughs> Our $20 billion initiative isn't charity by any stretch. We expect an attractive risk-adjusted return on this capital, Lewis said in his speech, and you better believe he does too. Bank of America is involved in financing the green economy for a lot of good reasons. It's because they make lots of cash off stuff they'll never ever build. Anyway, it represents the future and a tremendous business opportunity because the taxpayers are only funded via the government, right? We believe it's what our customers and clients need us and to do, and we want to support them. Lewis said Bank of America, like other banks, decided to assess the cost of carbon and risk and unwriting processes and evaluating business models of utility companies. So the bank is looking at participating in large-scale leasing of residential solar panels to homeowners, owners, especially if federal incentives for their use were adopted, but hasn't found the right way to participate, especially on things that fall apart after a couple of years. Bank of America plans next year to open what it calls the world's greenest skyscrapers just east of New York's Times Square and developing a green office tower in Charlotte. Oh, gee, what is it? Green, green, green. At one time when you were going green, you were, you were ready to be sick. And I think this is all designed to do the same thing to us, to be honest with you. We understand that there's hundreds of these organizations all working with the United Nations, through the United Nations, with the World Bank, with IMF, uh, and with all the other branches that they have, the Bank for International Settlements is one of the big ones for grabbing land from countries. And, uh, of course, usury has always been the same. It just takes on a, a better cloak of magic as time goes on. And now we're at carbon, so it's wonderful. And so it's just an amazing scam. But this is what's been pulled along the world through thousands of years, one scam after another. And as long as enough people at the top say it is so, like kings and queens, then it must be so. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix talking about this big organizations that go under the umbrella of the United Nations with always with a smiley face. We're here to help you. And the biggest big bunch of plunderers on the planet, the plundered nation after nation, because really they're all comprised of private central banks. And this is the curse of the world, actually. Uh, and government shouldn't be borrowing from private banks in the first place. There's no need for it whatsoever. However, this has, there's been a long, long war going on to make sure that they did take over. And Carol quickly talked about that, that economics and money and banks would be a form of total control of the world. That's what it's become. And it's the same with your G20 leaders. I mean, who voted in the G20? We didn't do it. No, no country in the world was given the option. Do you want your prime minister president to belong to this private G20 group? No, no, no one asked you. And it says they're just citizens of the world to get together to decide the fate of the world and all of you that they're supposed to represent. But on this, this one here tonight, so I'll put up a link and you can see all this private central banks that belong uh, to this big Bank for International Settlements, uh, Settlements and the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, all to do with taking over all the resources of the planet. And it's just incredible. Almost every country is on it except the ones that they're bombing right now. I guess it'll eventually be added to the list here. So the world's being standardized into this system as you're being taught to be, uh, live in austerity. And if you think the gap between the rich and poor is incredibly wide right now, uh, eventually you won't be able to see the other side by the time they're finished. I'm not kidding you. They want to bring peasantry back. A new feudal system always has land. Uh, the big the big lord uh, or landlords, really warlords they were called, and they have lots of peasants. Lots of pet. No, the, the little people who are always kind of happy and they're out in the forest, you know, making little things to sell to Chinese tourists made out of, you know, wicker, etc. So that's what the world they want to bring in and make it all fair across the world, make things fair for themselves. They really care about fairness, these guys who have ties to NATO and all these war-making institutions that bomb every country that doesn't come into their little network or bow the knee to them. And that's just how it is, folks. You know, people really get upset um, when they think they're waking up because... They want something to be done immediately. And they don't realize this has been in the works for centuries and centuries and the system that we're going through. Running left wing, running the right wing, generation after generation and working through non-governmental organizations, well funded with billions, if not trillions of dollars today across the world uh, to lobby and push and, and alter society from within. And to completely eradicate the old system forever. That's all of it. That's the way of life in your old communities. It's the way of life in a family setting. Everything has to be totally destroyed and, and until you, your state, your local area actually will take care of all the problems and tell you if you've got wrong think or right think, you know, as they call it in Orwell. So, Orwellian, this is where you're going into now. And we're actually here. But, um, as I say, there's the Bank of America creating the environmental uh, bank for the planet. Just as, just as they said years ago and quickly talked about it in the 1960s in his books, 
uh, Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American establishment, both of them. So it's all on, on course with uh, where it's supposed to go. Uh, tonight I'll also put up a, a link to DARPA, that wonderful organization for the military uh, that just helps once in a while to put up brain chip in a poor paraplegic to show you how concerned they are. We thought they were all about killing folk and getting super weapons and all that. And here they are helping a paraplegic to put a brain chip in so that he could occasionally send an email from his computer. So I guess charity isn't dead altogether, eh? In the midst of all the blood and guts institutions. So I put up their uh, projected budget estimates. That's quite interesting for the years. And you can compare them for where, where they were and to where they are now. Because I think it's the only growth industry in the States left is simply the war-making industries. And the rest of the people, it's terrible. about have got tent cities sprawling up in the U.S. because the banks were allowed. In fact, it was a, when they deregulated the banking system in Britain and elsewhere, all at the same time, it told the wolves it's time to make you just get in there and just, or bears maybe, the bear market, just go and claw everything in for yourselves becoming stinking rich now because eventually you'll have to be stinking rich to survive because we're going to collapse it all down the road. They gave them permission to plunder through one con after another. And no one, all these experts at the top, no one really noticed, you know, no one really noticed that they were selling uh, mortgage after mortgage and passing it up the line after doubling and tripling uh, its supposed value until eventually they didn't know who owned the darn things anymore. As long as each bank on the way up made its cash off it, they were quite happy with their multi-million dollar bonuses. So they brought on the crash on, on time because now this gives the World Bank and all the rest of them, the IMF, the power they were after all along. And Quigley said the same thing, being the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, he said uh, eventually uh, the, the, the Bank for International Settlements will come to the very, very top. Uh, running, it's running all the central banks, it's been running the central banks since the 1930s, and, uh, and they'll get more power, total power over the world financial system. Quite interesting, eh? And then you go into countries that are really flying ahead with all the left-wing Wizard of Oz schemes, like Australia, uh, because they're going to pay the first carbon taxes, etc. And what's happened to them? The same cons that happened everywhere else. The number of corporate insolvencies in Australia and the cost of those insolvencies are setting new records and continuing to run at over four times pre-GFC levels. Company liquidation business dissolve said bad debts for Australian banks totaled $5.6 billion uh, in, the, in the June quarter, which is up $5.1 billion in the March quarter, on an average pre-GFC level of $1.1 billion. Dissolve said the number of companies entering some form of insolvency administration calendar year 2011 continues to set new records. The month of March, April, June, and July 2011 have been the highest ever for each of those months. The calendar year to July 2011 is also the highest ever. So everything's going belly up in the countries that it's supposed to go belly up in because they all played the same game at the same time because all the oversight supposedly was taken off to ensure that the wolves didn't gorge themselves too much. Well, what do wolves do when they see the meat, eh? Fresh meat. They eat it all at once. That's what they do. There's also an article here about um, the coming multilateral world order. And it's from a Chinese perspective too. 
it's all part of the one I mentioned initially, but beyond uh, the, you know, the G20 and global governance. It's the Chinese side. It says, it's rare that the head of a lumbering international organization delivers a visionary speech about a new world order. But when that person is a polymath and strategic thinker like Robert Zolik, it pays to sit up and take notice. In a sweeping address at George Washington University earlier this month, the World Bank president identified a critical inflection point in world history. Global affairs have been so transformed, he suggested, that we need new paradigms for global governance and global development. Since the speech attracted little media attention, the internationalist thought it opportune to take a closer look. When confronted with the contemporary dilemmas, Zolik noted, noticed policymakers are tempted to look to supposed lessons of the past. In the current economic and political crisis, many have invoked the post-World War II sentiment, including the Dumbarton Oaks and Bretton Woods conferences that created the United Nations, World Bank, and the IMF. The very things, remember, that long before that, the Royal Institute of International Affairs wanted to be set up, and they're the same group as the CFR. This is, uh, but for such nostalgia is misplaced. Zolik suggests for the global conditions and problems we confront today are vastly different, both qualitatively and quantitatively. The real relevance of history is to give people a better understanding of how their circumstances have changed from the past. And change they have. Zolik makes clear just how much the world has transformed since the days of FDR and Truman and why the world needs a new multilateralism for a new age. It's got all the little buzzwords in here, eh? The ground is shifting under our feet. Economics and political power is flowing to developing countries at an unprecedented speed. In the 1990s, developing countries collectively accounted for a fifth of the global growth. By 2025, six of the biggest emerging economies, China, India, Brazil, South Korea, Russia, and Indonesia, will account for half. Based on its current trajectory, China may quadruple its per capita income to $16,000 by 2030, equivalent to adding 16 South Koreas each year. For the world to absorb such dramatic changes, China and other rapid ascenders must shift from export-led to more balanced growth. Simultaneously, mature economies like the United States, the European Union and Japan need to overcome political gridlock and make difficult fiscal choices or face inevitable decline. In other words, they must completely integrate everything until it's just one solid mass, you see. It's like everyone getting fused to everyone else. We're solid, one big salt clump, and that's going to save the day, apparently. But uh, they're all on... When you've read Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment by the same author, you'll understand this agenda has never gone away. It's been working very, very uh, powerfully behind the scenes. And it's it's there. It's there. It's all there. And Asian integration, uh, another article too I'll put up too, the policy changes of, in, in, of uh, more integration, etc. Uh, just with the Asian countries, how their growth is going to be, etc., etc. And remember, there's a group of 77. We've got the group of 20. They've got the group of 77 over there. And China is going to be the big major domo over Brunei, Dar es Salaam, Cambodia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and other countries as well. They've been a big, big push for, for, for getting in there and dominating those whole regions of cheaper labor still and lots of natural resources, and it seems that the G20 are allowing them to go for it as well. There's quite a few articles out on that, as there is. I've also mentioned about at the top, you, you can't expect anything natural to, and, and decent to come out from the top, because 
we're, we're run by deviants. I always call them deviants, the psychopathic types at the top. A psychopath, remember, has no conscience. They're very charming people, like Tony Blair. I, I watched a little documentary the other day about him. It's called The Wonderful World of Tony Blair. He's getting funded by a secretive means by the British government to be a sort of peace broker in Palestine, Israel. He's always in the Israelis' camp uh, and gets lots of business for them, but he's given little back for, to the Palestinians. In fact, he's, he's pretty well signed a deal that the oil and gas, natural gas off their shores in Palestine, of the Gaza Strip, will end up going to Israel. He's been awfully good to them. That's why he's there, of course. But he's also paid at the same time as he's getting his tax money uh, as a, a representative of Britain. He's got his own private organization on the go, too. And he's, uh, he's getting hired by uh, J.P. Morgan big time. He's, he's making millions and millions per year of supposedly going, going across his envoys and then getting personal business deals made. Like any true psychopath would, mind you. But you would like him. You'd like him personally. He would never get angry in your face. He'd always be pleasant and and serene. Psychopaths don't like blowing up in front of people. They don't like anxiety. They like to just just fool you and, and, and you're left scratched in your head wondering what kind of guy this is at all. This guy is like a machine. He, uh, he just ties up the cash wherever he goes. Every situation is an opportunity and that's why he was chosen. Plus he's, he's completely for the New American Century group. He's, he's, he's completely pro-Israel. And that's why the Israelis love him. If you ever see that uh, that little documentary, The Wonderful World of Tony Blair, you'll see why. But anyway, uh, isn't that article too to show you how people at the top really are and the charitable bonds? The ones we look up to. It says, the Scottish executive's relationship with millionaire businessmen is under fire after it emerged that public money has been poured into a charity set up by a tax exile. Uh, it's, it's children's charity because deviants are always into that. Officials gave 500000 to a group set up by Monaco-based Lord Laidlaw and even paid the salary of his chief executive, the wife of Scotland's most senior civil servant. The handouts row came amidst continuing controversy over the tycoon's role in British public life. Laidlaw of Scott became a Tory peer in 2004 after agreeing to become a tax resident in the UK. However, it was recently revealed that the businessman who lent and donated around £6 million to the Conservative Party had reneged on his part of the deal by remaining in Monaco. So that, however, is fair to end his tax exile status was compounded by remarks made by Tory leader David Cameron, who said Lord Laidlaw made some undertakings to the House of Lords Appointments Commission. The most honour of those undertakings, I'm very clear about that. He must honour them, it says here. So Sir Laidlaw said he intended to become a UK taxpayer, but had a variety of personal reasons for not fulfilling his promise. Well, it's to save cash, right? But then when you go into this other article here in this old boys' club story, it's quite interesting. One of Scotland's most successful children's charities is being wound up after its high-profile founder confessed to being a sex addict. The uh, L6, the million, uh, the $6 million uh, Laidlaw Youth Trust, created by Tory peer Sir Irvin Laidlaw, same guy, applied to Scotland's Charities Watchdog to dissolve itself earlier this month. Founded in 2003, the trust launched by former First Minister Jack McConnell has given away millions of Laidlaw's money to fund projects targeted at children and young people under the age of 25 in Scotland who are vulnerable socially, financially, or otherwise disadvantaged. The very target a paedophile wants to get into. Anyway, however, in April last year, the peer was exposed after organizing a 27, I don't know, L27 orgy in Monte Carlo with four female prostitutes and a male 
Gigolo, which is a prostitute as well. One of the women, 22-year-old Vogue model Michelle Vagnardi, who charged 3,000 lira per night for sex, reportedly said everyone was drinking and taking the sex drug Viagra. She claimed that he liked to watch the male model with the girls and alleged that the lesbian show was also performed for Laidlaw. So that's another reason he doesn't want to come back to, to Britain. I guess he can do more of that over there. It's more exotic or something. But you see, these characters at the top who are all lords, they're psychopathic. You don't get to be a lord and, and, and reckon. You don't understand, in a financial world, you cannot be ultra-successful without doors being open for you to get up there. They don't like competition at the top. Doors are open and you get in. And you have to have all these qualities, psychopathic qualities, and you have no moral qualms whatsoever on anything. And that goes with all the sexual aspects as well as the monetary and so on and so on. So anyway, Laidlaw admitted he's been fighting sexual addiction his whole adult life and has been in therapy several times. So that's his excuse for that. So children's charities and, and pervs are, are always linked together. After all, that's where your targets would be. And I'm sure more would come out of that if you dug a bit deeper into the story. I mean, I guarantee you it would too. And also, there's an article too about Ireland because uh, uh, one of the a person who ran for office before in Ireland is uh, into pederasty, and he hasn't changed his mind. He had to leave the last time when his, new, his views became known. But eventually, you see, all kind of pederasty and pedophilia will not be a, 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 an offence whatsoever. I've said that for years. They're they're pushing to do away with it. so intergenerational sex will be a fairly normal thing very shortly. And uh, in fact, some apparently media um, exposes are already trying to say that it is already quite normal. Quite normal. There's little shows on television about it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and talking about Tony Blair too, who's just out to rake in the cash, because he knows darn well if he doesn't rake in oh, another hundred mil or so, or even a few more, uh, then he's going to be left out in the cold when everything goes under into austerity, etc. So all all the ones who can make the cash are just ploughing it and now, and that they're breaking all conflicts of interest, etc. It doesn't matter to a psychopath. Never it has, of course. And his wife at the same time, Cherry Blair, stands again from the National Health Service privatisation. That they've slashed it to the bone and they're privatising it now. The one that Obama's copying, actually. But... um it says Cherry Blair is a director of a company which is preparing to profit from the growing privatization of the health service that can be disclosed. The wife of the former Labour Prime Minister is one of the founders of a business planning to open private clinics in supermarkets. Isn't that wonderful? You get a checkup as you're buying your onions. Her chief uh, uh, choice of preventure is likely to promote controversial uh, controversies amongst Labour supporters who will today set up their opposition to greater private involvement in the health system. Party members jeered at a mention of Tony Blair's name earlier this week during Ed Miliband's conference speech. Ed Miliband's a communist and so was his dad who taught the thing. He escaped and ran over to Britain and taught it there. The company is thought to represent Mr. Blair's first foray into commerce. It's uh, approaching city financiers just as her husband's business interests have come under renewed scrutiny. I mean, this guy is no kidding. He has no squabbles about everything. After getting five contracts for different uh, sheiks in the Middle East and also for Israel and different ones, including the, the oil grab for off Gaza there for, for Israel instead of Palestine, he 
he, he said he didn't know that his big boss was J.P. Morgan. He didn't know that. Five times in a row he didn't know. It's a pure shock to him. Good little psychopath that he is. Anyway, Mrs. Blair's pretty much the same, was thought to have concentrated on her legal career since he stood down as Prime Minister in 2007, but she now appears to be seeking to capitalise on coalition plans to open parts of the National Health Service to more private sector involvement. And no doubt it'll be American-owned uh, as well, because her, her hubby will have all the contacts from J.P. Morgan on that as well. That's how the world really works, folks. And you understand, when people hear this kind of stuff, they get awfully upset when they're waking up because they want instant revenge. You know, instant, instant. They want everything done properly, fast, and, and people punished, etc. The world, I have to tell you, the world has never operated like that. Never, ever operated. It's always been like this. In one form or another, it's always been the same system in reality. In a financial system where a small group can literally be the only lenders allowed to lend with usury and compound interest and been taking over the world step by step by step by doing so to have conquered it all. This is the real world. And they pick the psychopathic types that they can bring in from outside to help them on the way. There's lots of them out there. They'd sell their grandmother for whatever. Uh, and Tony Blair is one of those guys, just one of many of these these characters I don't know why people vote, because when they vote, they, they hear the promises, they hear promises their whole lives, and then they're always shocked when the person gets in. Like Obama there, he's going really, to, oh, wonderful speeches, but again, he never said anything concrete, just emotive speeches and heavenly looks and, and change is good without telling you the changes he was talking about, which was more and more war to finish off the new American century agenda. As I say, he's been congratulated by every member of the New American Century team for not just carrying on the war, but by going further with it. And so people never say, well, what do you mean by change, Obama? Why don't you finish the sentence? But change in what? You know, well, now you know. You used to have dollars, now you get a, a small pocket full of change. That's it, folks. Conned over and over. But don't get angry, it's always been like this. Always. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. Remember, buy the books and discs and keep me ticking over. 